Greetings and welcome to the Power for Positive Living podcast. My name is James Huey. I serve as your host for these podcast series, offering openness and caring through the gifts of listening hospitality. I invite you to join me here on Friendship Podcast Radio as we explore diverse topics to enrich the quality of your life. Power for positive living and friendship. About 10 years ago, your host was invited to visit the Teacher's Lounge. This podcast is for teachers, hosted by a teacher. The focus is on issues that are important to students, teachers, and parents. This brief interview discussed the importance of building relationships with students and parents through the process of listening and understanding for communication. So, Let us step into the time machine and revisit the Teacher's Lounge. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Teacher's Lounge, a podcast for teachers by a teacher. Joining us today, James Huey, a former educator and psychologist who's going to be speaking with us about the power of communication, communication and the skill of listening, the most basic of all human needs is the need to understand and be understood. The best way to understand people is to listen to them, and that includes our students. Great quote there from Ralph Nicholas. So settle in, relax, you have reached the teacher's lounge. James Huey. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. First of all, tell us about your mother. There's an interesting story here. We talked about your legacy in the classroom. It's not so much what you teach, but how you conduct yourselves among your students. You had a chance to attend the high school reunion and found out something about your mother who was a teacher for many years. Well, one of the things that I believe in, that in education, you basically build relationships with your students. No matter what way you talk about it, you have a relationship. And how that relationship is structured, encouraged, nurtured over the days. It starts on day one. You lay the foundation and you build some kind of relationship with each and every student in the room. And one of the things that I remember from my own mother, who was a teacher, one of the most fascinating parts of how I became a teacher because when I was young, I vowed I would never teach. And of course, I wound up teaching and now I'm a retired teacher. And so it's amazing that she was able to influence not only her generation, but also many, many students who would not have been affected by my behavior if she hadn't directed me toward teaching. But this last year, I went back to my 50th high school class reunion And I was given a piece of paper by one of the students at the same high school where my mother had taught. My mother was uh, received a dedication from her class in their yearbook. And at their reunion, 
50 years later, they dedicated their reunion. So here was not only a group of students that were affected by her, but these students 50 years later valued something about her. They wrote that uh, Mrs. Huey, our beloved teacher, passed away several years ago from cancer. She was an inspiration and a friend to all of us, and we honored her by dedicating our yearbook to her. It is only fitting that we honor her on our 50th class reunion. She had so much faith in what we could accomplish. After graduation, she sent this message to a classmate, quote, The path you choose for success and happiness will be filled with many detours and obstacles. But if you have faith in yourself, faith in others, faith in God, you will succeed and achieve it all. To me, that's a wonderful gift to give to students, regardless of what you teach them. She taught commercial subjects like shorthand and typing, things of that type. But she had a relationship with these students 50 years later, it had validity in their lives. To me, that's a, an admirable goal that if anybody remembers me 50 years <laughs> from the days that I taught, I could not ask for a higher honor. And just to point out to our listeners, your mother didn't just die recently, so it wasn't like they just dedicated it to her because she recently passed away. She's been gone for some time. 25 years. Yes. 25 years. And she is still remembered and just at this time, 25 years after she died and 50 years after she received the yearbook dedication, which I think is really remarkable. And the, the student who gave me that piece of paper said that she still thinks of her as a friend. She was a strict teacher. She was one who believed in actually impressing the subject matter a great deal. She had standards. She was not, quote, easy in that regard. But it's amazing that the students consider her a friend because she was always in their corner, even when she was making their life difficult. One of the biggest challenges for almost any human being, whether it's a teacher, is to develop the concept of empathy, the ability to feel for another. Most of us, unfortunately, are very focused on what we feel, what is our goal? What will we accomplish? What do we want you to learn? That kind of thing. She had the ability to reach over the desk and feel and reach the aspirations, the hopes, the fears of her students. I found that always an admirable trait, even though I was very young at the time and when I saw her do it. It was not until retrospect and in hindsight, like so many things become much clearer, that I was able to really be impressed by what she was able to accomplish. And that guided me because when I entered teaching, I thought that I was going to teach for just two years to pay off some debts. I started teaching and found out that the students were not responding to social studies. They were not responding to government and history and geography, they were responding to time with me. I gave them a gift that was somewhat different than my mother gave. My mother, I think, gave them a maternal friend. Right. I gave them more of a listening ear. The thing that I found out is the students came to my classroom 
before school or stayed after school because they wanted someone to listen to them. And while I didn't have answers, I certainly didn't have answers back when I was in my 20s. I even have fewer now, but back then I had so few answers because they were able to share issues and concerns that were totally outside of my range of experience. And also um, that applies to back when you were teaching, even to where I'm teaching now, where it seems like students appreciate it, where if you just listen to them without giving them a parental speech, a lot of cases of what they they should be doing, just you know, you listening and understanding them and, and taking the time to listen and not shuffle in between papers and do this and that and actually give them give them your attention. Uh, students respond well to that. Well, people respond well. Yeah. See, I, that's one of the things that it's very difficult for a lot of teachers to remember is that they're teaching people. They label them students as though that somehow puts them into a different group. Right. But they're people. And people respond behaviorally to anyone who will listen to them, who will strive to understand what in the world they're saying, who is not going to get on a a kind of I will fix you uh, mentality because I'm older or wiser or I have more degrees, I've been to college, blah, blah, blah. That Talking down to them. Talking yeah. down to them or just somehow believing that you have the answer for someone else's life. One of the things I've learned is that we don't have the answers for other people. What we can offer them, whether they are students or just friends or in our family is to be able to offer a listening ear that says, I care about you and I'm willing to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to sit there and wait for you to hurry up and finish. Say, God, I wish you would hurry up and finish so I can really get this wisdom of the ages passed on to it. A lot of teachers, I have found that sometimes we believe our own PR, that we are wise and we really do have all the answers when we don't. So on. What would you say to teachers out there who struggle with this to where they feel like they're not connecting well with students or with people in their classroom and they know the content, but as you and I know and all of our listeners know, it's more than just content. It's actually reaching and communicating with people in the classroom. Any suggestions or recommendations you would make it to those teachers who struggle with this? The thing that I learned most over the years was developing and valuing to great degree the skill to listen. I believe and I found my students were very willing to tell me what were the problems in my classroom. They were willing to tell me if I were willing to listen. I could not set them up and say, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what the problem is. It was more along the lines of, well, how did today go? What did you think of it? What were the parts that you liked the best? What were the parts that you didn't care for? Those kinds of things where they were open-ended kinds of questions. And they were visited periodically. Because once again, you're not going to learn in one dialogue with one student. You can learn over multi-things, but you have to listen in order to make the connection between student A and student M and student Z. How important is it to listen to students when you're disciplining them? If discipline is the ability to learn control, this is something that is, once again, a part of a teaching apparatus, a teaching connection. If discipline is something that you do to a student, 
to me, you're already missing the boat. Discipline is something that you do with a student to help them learn from the experience. Right. And in order to do that, each student is different because so many times I see teachers who are frustrated. They are trying to have one type of discipline or one type of situation or one type of behavior fit all, and that doesn't work. And if you don't know your students and if you haven't listened to them and find out what is of value to them, then you do try that one-size-fits-all, and it doesn't work. That's the go back to that very first thing. What is the purpose of relationship? You have relationships with your students. You have relationship with your faculty members. You have relationship with the parents. These are the things that you rely on, and the best way to have a relationship is to learn to listen to them. That could actually help in classroom management. I know it has for me sometimes where if you're disciplining or using class management skills in the classroom, you may not be able to say know anything about that kid other than they cause trouble in the class. But uh, taking the time to listen and get to know them and that sort of stuff can be a benefit is what you're saying. Very much so, because the reality is I found this over the years was I always learned the, what we call the stars, the great students. They're always the first ones you notice. You just really get to know them because they shine. Right. And then, of course, right behind them are the troublemakers, the ones who I've decided that everybody wants attention. So if I can't get positive attention like the stars, then I certainly can get negative attention. And believe me, they're very successful in that. And then, of course, the average student is the last one to be listened to. Absolutely. And if you have a number of students, in other words, my first year of teaching, I had over 200 students. Now, that's very, very difficult to try to get to know that many students. And I did was not successful, but I made the effort. And for that, I was always pleased with myself. And the students who I did reach were able to influence other students because, once again, there's nothing stronger than your peer group when it comes to dictating behavior and attitudes and values. Not every student wants to be known by you, too, of course. That is true. That is one of the things that I found very difficult at first was realizing that not everybody wants to be known. I find myself as one who wants to know about other people. I'm always curious about stories and their viewpoints and what they tell me about someone. But once again, not everyone wants to be known, but that is still something to learn that they don't want to be known. Now, I may disagree with that value, but as long as we're interacting, I can still respect that value, even if I intensely disagree with it. How important is listening skills and relating to parents, whether it's a hostile parent or parents coming to you, uh, what are some of the value of having good, sharp listening skills on this? Whether it's the student or whether it's your faculty member or your administration or parents, if you are not able to listen and hear what they value, what they believe, what is their philosophy, what they find positive and affirming about the work they do or being a parent, if you cannot hear the difference between a parent who considers parenthood a burden and those who consider it a continuous joy, then once again, you don't know how to respond. Because so many times teachers say, this is what I need to tell the parent, rather than what can I learn from the parent that will help them with the student. Right. And that's back to the word empathy again, being able to relate to what is coming from the other person. 
And once again, it's really very difficult if the parent doesn't want to be known. I mean, that's, that, that is difficult. But it does tell you something important that when you talk with them, you will be able to relate on that basis as versus the one who wants to bring in the scrapbooks and tell you all the trophies and et cetera, et cetera, and all the cute stories and everything that basically has nothing to do with how the child is performing in your classroom. Would you say in a lot of instances that angry parents just want to vent in a lot of cases and just by hearing them and saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, and showing that you acknowledge what they're saying and what their concerns is is much more beneficial than engaging in hostile communication back. What do most angry people want? To vent. They want to vent. Yeah. Make sure they they want them. everyone to understand what their frustration, what their anger, what their hurt, what their pain is. They want someone to listen to it and understand it. So whether it's the vent in the newspaper whether it's, you know, talking with people, whether it's in a dialogue such as a parent-teacher conference. Yes, I think all angry people want to be heard. All people want to be heard, whether they're angry or not, they want to be heard and understood. So often teachers think of teaching being something going from the teacher to the student, when actually the best teaching is whenever the teacher is able to reach in and be empathetic with the world of the student or the parent, or the administrator, or their fellow teachers, and be able to communicate with that rather than thinking that, gosh, all these people are waiting for my pearls of wisdom to flow (laughs) forth. And most of the time, they're not. That's true. That's very, very true. What are some of the differences that maybe you picked up on between the time you first started teaching and the way the education profession is now? It sure is different in the way... Uh, schools are organized. It's very different in the way as far as the type of students and the home relationships. Home relationships have changed considerably. There is not the same degree. A lot more parents are taking sides of students now. Yes. That's, that is certainly an issue. Teachers and students, parents, will challenge authority a lot more comfortably. Teachers challenge administration more comfortably now than they did in my day. And parents will challenge teachers. And, of course, the students will challenge parents and teachers and just about anybody else. They're not as docile. What do you think has led up to that? What do you think caused the shift between then and now? Well, all things change. All things change. There's always change going on. And I'm not sure exactly what caused it, as much as I am aware of what is taking place. It's very much like when I look at a student who's misbehaving, it isn't so much what's causing it, but what's going on and what need is being met. We have more information. Podcasting, for example, is one thing that is totally different than when I was there. Internet, parents being able to read homework on the internet, those are all things that are just mind-boggling in their change. We've talked about before, one of your favorite movies is Dead Poets Society, a movie that has influenced a lot of people to get into teaching. What are some of the things that you take away from that movie that apply to your own educational beliefs? One of the things that Mr. Keaton does is the very first scenes is take them out into the hall and he shows them a a display case with old pictures and he mutters the word, listen. 
To me, that sets the tone for whatever else is going on. He is listening to what the students have, and he's encouraging them to listen to themselves, to each other, to trust. Because really one of the most difficult things that you can teach a student is to believe in themselves. They are so conditioned to believing what their peer group tells them, what their parents tell them, what society wants them to know, but to actually believe. And that's what I think Mr. Keaton is telling, to listen, to listen to the past, learn from it, but also listen to yourself. These people are speaking to you for the choices you make. I guess the two C's that dictate my world are one is change and one is choice. We are always in a world of change, and a lot of it we have nothing to do with. We have nothing to do with it. But we always have a choice on how we handle the change. And that, to me, is really the key component, is Mr. Keaton goes and listens to the student and encourages them to listen. He does have experience that he's willing to share. He is able to structure some things for them to learn. But you don't see him standing up there and talking about literature. He makes a great deal of point of not saying that isn't the main point. Literature is important, and we will learn it. But you won't learn it from me. You'll learn it from yourself. And it is always much easier to say things for yourself than it is to do it. Because one of the things that is so... A lot of teachers go in to teaching because they like to be asked questions and tapped into their knowledge. And they think just because they are asked a question that somehow they must provide the answer. One of the things Mr. Keaton does very well is recognize that the question is just an indication of you needing to branch out and find the answer for yourself. And another thing that probably made Mr. Keaton successful to his students that some of our teachers out there could apply to their own classrooms was he was passionate about his subject and certainly wasn't bored with what he taught. As you said, he was really interested in his students. He knew things about them. He built a relationship with them. He, he listened to them, and he built a relationship with them. And that was the theme throughout the movie, the relationship between him and his students. Now, some of the students didn't want a relationship with him. They, you know, moved gone. They were, you know, out there, but they were not forced. He was not trying to make them into a relationship. But he opened himself up to a relationship and accepted and built very much like I think my mother did with her students. You think education welcomes those type of teachers? In some schools and in some situations, there are. But once again, it's like one size fits all. No, there are places where they are not welcome. There are places where they can be nurtured. There are, once again, places where teachers say, I will only take risk and do this kind of education if I'm given approval. You may not ever receive that approval. You may run into the uh, that stern taskmaster who, once again, will do everything to sabotage. But if you're in teaching, you have to decide, just like you're trying to teach your students, why are you in teaching? If you're in just for the vacations, you know, it's going to be a very, very, very <laughs> poor job for you. If you are there for what you can do to make a difference and help your students learn about your passion, whatever that happens to be, and learn their passions, then to me, you've been a successful teacher, regardless of the kind of school you were in. 
And students, just like anyone, can definitely pick up on what your real priorities are in the classroom. Well, I think you can do that with anybody you meet. Yeah. And if and if teachers are paying attention, they will know what their students value. That doesn't mean they have to agree with them. It doesn't mean they have to support them. But it does mean that they need to pay attention to them. Now, you've been out of the classroom for quite a many years now, yet you still, these relationships you built with your students, some of which you still from today and even call friends. I'm very fortunate. I, I feel very well blessed to have a number of students that we built a relationship and was able to continue after the classroom. I have seen many children. I've seen many weddings. I've seen many grandchildren. I've been very fortunate to be invited to continue in my students, my former students' lives. And of course, you know, hundreds and hundreds more where there wasn't. It, it ended at the classroom, and that was fine. My guess is I, they still think of me if they think of something that will bring back. But once again, that's not the crucial part. I, I have these relationships, I have these friendships, and I value them greatly. We've been talking with James Huey, educator and professional listener. I'm sure many of you got a lot of good things about the importance of listening, establishing relationships, and leaving a legacy, not so much about curriculum, but how you relate to the students. This is your friend and host, James Huey. Thanks for listening to me on this podcast as I share viewpoints from my own experiences with wellness psychology. These are my gift to you, my listeners. Your feedback sent via email is always appreciated. That email address is powerforpositiveliving at gmail.com. Please join me next time as we continue to explore diverse topics to enrich the quality of your life. Please feel free to re-listen to other podcasts in this series which are posted on our website. Many of the podcasts from Season 1 have recently been re-edited to more effectively communicate their message. As your friend and host here on Friendship Podcast Radio, I always encourage you to value and nurture yourself as the unique individual that I believe you are. Until next we meet, I remain committed to power for positive living and friendship. Good day.